I want to start just kind of with a, an observation. Have you ever noticed that um, empty houses tend to uh, deteriorate? Am I saying that word right? Deteriorate. That's a hard word to say. Tend to decay at a faster rate than an occupied house. Have you ever noticed that? That a house could be 100 years old and still look great, but as soon as the family moves out, in just even a few months, that house can start to fall apart. I think there's another picture up there of a house. The top is 2009, and then 2018, less than 10 years later, just empty houses sitting there and how rapidly they can decay. If those houses had been occupied, they probably still would look really good. They probably would still have a lot of life in them. When a home sits abandoned and unoccupied, all sorts of things start to go wrong and start to cause a rapid rate of decay. When people are in the home to turn on the AC and turn on the heat or open the windows, the humidity in the building uh, or in that home can stay at a more stable rate. And, but if they're not there to do that, then mildew and mold can kind of set in and things can start to decay. When people occupy the home, regular maintenance takes place. If you notice a, le a leak in the ceiling, then you start to fix it. But if no one's there to notice when the leak is small, the leak can suddenly get much larger very fast. When and pests get in, bugs and mice and other little critters. If you live in the home, uh, you, you go on the warpath to get rid of those, those little critters that get into your house. But if there's no one there, it's, it's amazing how fast just mice can, can disrupt and take care and, and uh, destroy a home or destroy a building if it's not occupied. So if no one is there, listen, to, to maintain the atmosphere, to maintain the structure, to maintain the hygiene of a home, it will decay at an extremely rapid rate. It will, uh, in just a matter of a few months even, a home can become utterly destroyed if there's no one living there to take care of it. But this morning, I'm not just here to talk about home improvement maintenance. I'm here to talk about because all week, the Holy Spirit has been bringing a scripture to mind, to me, and I believe it's because God is concerned about you and me and our maintenance and our upkeep and the integrity and the strength of our personal lives. So Jesus, in Luke chapter 11, he's teaching a group of people when he starts talking about an empty house. An empty house. This is where I want to read. You don't have to stand. But Luke chapter 11, Jesus compares a person's life to that of a home that has been emptied and quickly falls into disrepair. Look at Luke 11. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, this verse 24, it passes through waterless places seeking rest. And finding none, it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it ha finds the house swept and put in order. And then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. So when an evil spirit leaves a house 
and leaves the home empty. It goes looking for a place to rest. It doesn't find anywhere else to occupy. So it decides to go back to where it just was. And it finds that this empty home, it's been put in order and it's been uh, swept clean, but it finds it empty. And when that spirit comes back to the empty home, it invites seven other even worse, stronger spirits to take up residence and dwell there. And Jesus says the final state of that person's life is worse than the first. Lord, would you just bless the reading of your word this morning? Father, help me to communicate your word in a way that's understandable. Help us, Lord, to walk in the authority and the power of your word and to receive what you have to say to us today. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Jesus is saying here, that you and me, our lives are like a house. Our lives are like a home. And that's a common theme in Scripture to talk about lives like a home or lives being like a building. We see in Scripture where it talks about we are temples of the Holy Spirit, that our lives are residences for the Holy Spirit to live if we are believers. We see in Scripture where it talks about uh, a group of Christians or a church or an organization uh, of believers or a congregation of believers is referred to as a house in which Christ dwells and Christ is the foundation. I've been preaching kind of a lot along those lines lately. And Jesus here, he's talking about, though, an individual life. He's talking about your life. He's talking about my life. And he's making the argument that when we become Christians, when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, when we become followers of Jesus, submitted to him as the Lord of our lives, as the king of our lives, our lives, our homes, so to speak, are cleansed by Jesus. When Jesus moves in, he evicts every other evil spirit, every other thing that could try to take up residence in our lives. Don't you ever let somebody tell you you can be a Christian and possessed by a demon or possessed by a devil at the same time because Jesus does not share a house with the devil. He evicts every unclean spirit when he moves in. We are cleansed by Jesus before Christ our lives are cluttered and filled with our own sin, all of us, every single one of us. None of us gets to sit here today and brag about how clean our house is or how good things were back in the day before we met Jesus. The Bible says that all of us have fallen, have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. None of us can sit here and act saved and stuck up this morning because all of us had a mess that we needed Jesus to come in and clean up. Somebody say amen. We can't look down our noses at others and their mess because if we were honest, if it hadn't been for Jesus, our house would be messier than their house. We can't go down the street and you can see certain houses, you can see certain communities, you can see certain places where you can just kind of guess what maybe goes on there or what kind of things happen there or what kind of family lives there and you can walk by and you can with your nose stuck up high because your house doesn't look like that and your life doesn't look like that. But I'll tell you what, if you hadn't had Jesus intervene, yes, your house would look like that. Yes, my house would look like that. Here's the truth. Some people are really good at making the outside of the house look real nice. And you're my house, your life, 
from the outside perspective, it might have looked really nice and you might have managed to keep your lawn meticulously mowed and you might have managed to keep the gutters clean and the flower beds looking pretty and nice fresh coat of paint on the shutters outside. But each and every one of us, no matter how good we might have been at slapping a coat of paint on it, all of us have fallen short of God's glory at some point. All of us have sinned. All of us has failed. All of us have collected dust and collected filth in our lives and we need Jesus to come in and cleanse out everything that we can't get rid of ourselves. In fact, look at this. And the Apostle John wrote in, in his first letter, 1 John chapter 1, verse 8. He says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Listen, if you go around here talking about I'm perfect and I've never sinned and I've never fallen short, you're not fooling anybody but you. He doesn't say, if you go around saying that, you're deceiving everyone else. No, if you're walking in this kind of saved and stuck up, I've got it all together and I'm better than everyone else. The only person you're fooling, he says, is you. Now, here's the good news. Jesus already knows my house is a mess. Jesus already knows all about my sin. He knows all about your sin. We might have thought we kept it good and covered up and kept it in secret and we had slapped a nice coat of paint on it and no one would ever know, but he knows. Listen, he knows what you would never confess to one of us today. He knows every single detail. He knows where every skeleton is. He knows where everybody is buried. He knows every detail of our lives, the good, the bad, and the ugly. But listen, still, he loves you. Still, he loves you. Still, he chose to die for you. No sin you have ever committed or could conceive of committing could have taught Jesus out of going, the, out of going to the cross and laying down his life to pay the price for your freedom. It's not like Jesus, the day before the crucifixion, said, Okay, I'll go to the cross as long as the cross isn't paying for this particular sin. Well, I'll go to the cross for Pastor Katie uh, unless Pastor Katie does this one thing. And if she does this one thing, it's not worth the cross for me. I'll go to the cross for John if John will just do every, it's okay. Every other thing is okay, but there's this one thing that the cross isn't, isn't worth. And I'm not going to go to the cross for that. No, it does, there is not anything that you could do or anything that you have done or would do that would talk Jesus out of going to the cross for you. Look back at 1 John 1.8 again. He says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But look at the next verse. But if we confess our sins, if we're truthful about who we are, if we're honest with ourselves and with God about what we have done, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, no matter how messy your house is, no matter how thick the layer of sin dust is in your life, no matter how cluttered, disorganized, or deteriorated your life has become, when you bow your knees and your heart to King Jesus, when you turn from sin and turn toward the Savior, He cleanses every bit of sin. He forgives every fault. He washes every stain in that moment. He cleanses. And the story tells us 
that Jesus tells us in Luke chapter 11 is that any demonic or evil or satanic spirit that may have been occupying your life, tormenting you, enslaving you, the moment you give your life to Jesus, the powers of Satan are evicted from your life. He cleanses every sin and he drives out every ungodly spirit out of your life. If you're here today, and you haven't bowed your knee to King Jesus, if you haven't submitted to him and committed yourself to follow him, if you're here today and you're tired of the filth and you're tired of the sin and the disorganization and the decay that sin causes, tired of feeling empty, tired of feeling in shambles, cluttered and chaotic, listen, there is cleansing today available for you in the name of Jesus. His blood still washes white as snow. His blood still has stain-removing power. His blood still has life giving grace. The blood still works and it still cleanses sinners. But I want you to notice something. Jesus in this text about the unclean spirit and the empty house, he's teaching us something about what it means to be a Christian, what it means to truly be a follower of Jesus. As Christians, we are not simply just cleansed and forgiven by Jesus and given a clean slate. That's only part of the equation. In addition to being forgiven by Jesus, cleansed by Jesus, we as believers, when we put our faith in Jesus in that moment, we become inhabited by Jesus. Say that with me, inhabited, inhabited. That's a real fancy word that means Jesus moves in. And Jesus takes ownership. In this story, Jesus is critiquing, not salvation. He's critiquing man-made religiosity that says, I can clean my own house. He's critiquing man-made religiosity that says, I can reform myself. I'll just sweep up a little bit. And I'll just get out the fabuloso and start to put that down on the floor. That purple smells so good. I love it. That he says, I'll get out the Clorox and, and I'll just, I'll just clean up all this sin myself and I'll, I'll deal with it and I'll go and get the best cleaning products and I'll, I'll do all the things and I'll just put a little elbow grease into it and I can reform myself. I can make myself better. I can evolve out of sin and restore myself into a better form of who I am. And Jesus says, nope. That's not how it works. If you could help yourself, if you could reform yourself, if you could get yourself out of the mess of sin, he would have never had to go to the cross. But he did go to the cross because he knows that what theologians call the total depravity of human beings is that when we fall into sin, and all of us have, we can't climb out on our own. We can't get out on our own. See, sometimes people will come to believe, I can work my way out of this sin issue. If I'll just do this, it'll make up for that. If I'll just go to church this many times this week, it'll make up for whatever I did last week. And I can work my way. If I just give some money to the guy on the street corner, that'll make up for where I stole some money last week. No, we can't work our way up out of sin. But there are people that believe I can work my way out of this mess. I can just clean myself up a little bit. I, if I could just rearrange and reorganize some things in my life, then I could get things together. I can then save myself if I'll just work at it. But in this story, 
Jesus is saying that man-made religiosity that tries to earn your own salvation and reform your own image and evolve out of sin and evolve out of something, uh, out, of, out of all that filth and all the things that sin brings, that ultimately will lead to emptiness. See, because a house that's empty, no matter how good you clean it up, if it's empty, it will rapidly deteriorate and fall apart. By sheer willpower, it is maybe for some people possible to temporarily clean up our act and temporarily get ourselves together. Maybe it's possible. I haven't met a lot of people that can do it, but maybe. There are some people that just have strong willpower that have the ability to kind of say no to some things and give up some things and clean some things up, but I have never seen it be long-lasting with that just simple just willpower. Maybe some people can do that, but most people I've found that don't have the will or the strength to even do it themselves. And what Jesus is saying here is that you might be able, maybe some of you, might be able to clean up the house. You might be able to sweep the dust out. You might be able to, for a season, get rid of the evil spirit that's, that's there. But eventually, if that house stays empty, eventually that unclean spirit is going to come back. And not only will he come back, but he'll bring seven other spirits that are even more evil and more atrocious and they will enter in and dwell in your house. And Jesus says you'll be worse off than you were at the start because you left your house empty. What he's trying to tell us is that empty houses are vulnerable to unwelcome squatters. Empty homes, empty places are, are vulnerable to unwelcome squatters. And empty lives are vulnerable to unwelcome spirits. It's not enough, Jesus says, to remove the filth, to sweep out the dust, to clean up the cobwebs. Something, or someone rather, has to come in and dwell in and inhabit the empty house to ensure that the house is regularly maintained. When we become Christians, we not only get our sin slate wiped clean and we not only get the dust swept out and we not only get the, the spirits moved out, our lives come under new management when we get saved. A new boss comes in and he occupies the residence. You can try to clean up your act all you want to. You can follow the 12 steps. You can buy the, the self-help books. You can take advice and counsel. But until there is a transfer of ownership and the new owner is allowed to take residence in the house, you will stay empty and that home, that house, that life will stay vulnerable to invasion by the enemy. As sinful men and women in desperate need of saving, we don't need just reformation. We don't need just restoration. We don't need just renovation. We need an inhabitation. Someone to come in and not just clean the house, but to occupy the house. Jesus, come in and by his Holy Spirit, take up residence in our lives. Because without him, we tend to collect more dust. We tend to become enslaved again to the things that we temporarily found freedom from. We tend to toward pride and gossip and lust of the flesh and greed and bitterness. We tend toward that without having something inhabiting us that's stronger. 
If we could help ourselves and manage ourselves, y'all, we wouldn't have needed Jesus. If we could help ourselves and manage ourselves, we wouldn't have needed the cross. We wouldn't need the Holy Spirit. We could all just go home. We, don't, we wouldn't need to be here. But you being here today says something to me that says you recognize without him, my house will fall apart. Without him, things will begin to deteriorate. He knows without him, we cannot make it. and We cannot do it. So he offers to come in. He offers to clean up. He offers to restore. He offers to redeem. But when he does, listen, church, he demands that we hand over the keys of ownership and give him rights to possession and occupation. It is a demand from the Lord. It's not an option to be a follower of Jesus and say, Jesus, you don't get to live here and take up residence and call the shots. No, if we want his forgiveness, we want him to come clean things up. We have to give him the keys of ownership. So when we talk about overcoming sin, when we talk about righteousness, when we talk about living in holiness, it's not just about, listen, this is important. It is not just about emptying ourselves of sin. It's not just about getting rid and, and, and removing certain behaviors or certain actions or certain thoughts Holiness, righteousness, living for God is not just about what you quit doing. It's about what you start doing. If we simply clean up and move a few things out, we create a vacuum. We create empty space. We create a void, a void, and we must fill that void with something. Let me give you a practical example. Let's say, now that I know no one in the room this would apply to, maybe someone watching online, no one here. But let's say, just for, just for hypothetical sake, let's just say someone you know, maybe not you, but someone you know, has a tendency toward using certain language. No one here. But let's say somebody did, that you have a, a habit of certain words, certain language coming out of your mouth, a habit. Maybe you have a favorite word. Or a favorite few words that you like to string together. And, and for some people it becomes such a habit. Not here, no one here, somewhere. Some people it becomes such a habit, such a hang up. You don't even realize you've done it. Or you don't realize you've said it. It has become such a, a habit in your life. Look at what the scripture says about that. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 29. Don't use foul or abusive language. Okay? Stop saying whatever it is. But that's not where the scripture ends, is it? He says, don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those that hear them. Notice, he did not just say, quit doing that. He said, remove certain words but add other words to your life. And if you want to overcome the habit, you can't just say, well, I'm going to just pinch myself every time I say something I shouldn't have said. Instead, you start filling your tongue and your mouth with words of blessing, words of goodness, words that are helpful, words that are encouraging, and you won't have any room in your mouth for those other words. See, when you try to just fight against the thing you shouldn't do, you create this, it's eternal frustration. When you 
you just say, I shouldn't do that. I shouldn't do that. I shouldn't have done that. And you get frustrated with yourself when you fail. But if instead of trying to just remove something, if you start adding something, it fills the empty space in your life. And so Jesus says that, the Bible says that, and said, don't just stop using foul language. Start using your tongue to say things that are good, helpful, and encouraging. If you want to break the habit, you have to replace the words of curse with words of blessing. And when you allow the Holy Spirit to come in and lead you and how you speak and the things you say, you will find it's easier to stop doing the thing you shouldn't do if you start doing the thing he leads you to do. I'll give you another example. Last week, I talked quite a bit about worry and fear and anxiety. We talked about what Jesus had to say about it. But you know, if you talk to someone that really struggles with worry and anxiety, if you go up to them and say, you just need to quit worrying. Well, I've just added more worry to their life at that point. Because then if, if you're an anxious or a worrisome type person, then you, if you try to just stop worrying, when you do worry, you're just now worried that you're worrying. And y'all, do y'all remember hearing, you know, well, worry is a sin? Remember hearing that taught to us and taught, told to us as, as kids? And, and there's maybe some Bible behind it or whatever, but I think they went a little too far with it. And then now you're worried. Not only am I worried about whatever I was worried about, now I'm worried that I worried and that's sin. And it creates this, it, it actually adds more anxiety into people's lives when you try, just quit doing it. But that's not what the scripture says, is it? Look at Philippians. Look at Philippians chapter 4. Don't worry about anything. Okay. Stop doing something. But then watch. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all that he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And now, listen, dear brothers and sisters, focus uh, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true, what is honorable, what is right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about these things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you've learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing, then the God of peace will be with you. So Paul is saying in, the, in his letter to the Philippians, he's saying, don't worry. Okay, fine. That's something you should not do. Don't worry as believers because Jesus holds you in the palm of your hand. But if you're struggling with anxiety, if you're struggling with worry, if you have those intrusive thoughts that come in and are dominating your mind and how you think, then you need to focus your mind on something else. You don't just remove the thoughts of anxiety and worry. You add thoughts and you focus in on what is good and what is lovely and what is honorable and what is right. And when you begin to point your mind in a different direction, all of a sudden, you have filled your mind with so much of God's goodness that there's not room for the anxious thoughts and there's not room for the worry thoughts. See, we don't just talk about emptying ourselves of things we ought not do. We start talking about filling ourselves with things that God leads us to do. Because yes, when Jesus comes in, he cleanses you. He sweeps out the dust. He evicts every in, uh, spirit of the enemy. He restores. He reforms. He reorganizes and rearranges your life. Yes, he does all of that. But also he fills every room. He inhabits every area of our life. So that when the enemy tries to come back in, the enemy finds there's no empty places where he can get a foothold. 
the enemy finds there's no empty places that he can take up residence because Jesus has taken up and moved into every area of my life. Here's my final point before I close. When we follow Jesus and submit our lives, he cleanses us, he inhabits our lives, but also he protects us. He protects us. Matthew chapter 12. Jesus and is, you know, the gospels sometimes repeat themselves. And the same chapter in Matthew where Jesus talks about the empty house and the evil spirit. In Matthew 12, he adds another kind of detail. And this is what he says. He says, for who is powerful enough to enter into the house of a strong man and plunder his goods? Only someone stronger, someone who could tie him up and then plunder his house. Who is strong enough to enter the house of a strong man? Satan is a strong man. And who is powerful enough to evict the strong man? Only a stronger man. I want to speak to someone this morning that you, you and your family lately have become under spiritual attack. The, the enemy of our souls has done everything he can to attack you and to attack your family, discourage you, um, wear you out, wear you down. In multiple places in Scripture, the devil, the devil is spoken of in terms of being a strong man. He is created as an event, as an angelic being. He he has abilities that we as mere humans do not have. The Bible says that he is a lion, seeking to and fro over the earth, looking for whom he might devour. The enemy he engages in total warfare. He does not fight fair. He does not obey normal rules of engagement. He looks for the weak spots. He looks for the vulnerable areas, and he takes advantage of them to the nth degree. He, he is playing for keeps. He is serious about what he does. And at times, it can feel like it can feel like we're under constant siege from the enemy. Sin lies creeping at the door for some of us, ready to pounce, ready to take us down. Sickness and suffering might seem to follow some of us wherever we go. Maybe you're here today and you've been struggling to break free of an addiction, or you're, maybe you're watching online today and you've been dealing with thoughts of depression, fear, hopelessness, even, even suicide. And for you this morning, it feels like your life has come under control of the strong man. This strong man who engages in total warfare and takes no prisoners. You've tried and you know that you can't, you, you can't beat this attack on your own. You, you've worn yourself out trying to win this battle. You have, your, your mind has been under torment from the enemy. He's, he's even disrupted your sleep. He's dominated your mind so much you can't rest and you can't turn it off. 
maybe you're here and you're struggling with thoughts of bitterness or hatred or even even hating yourself and unable to forgive yourself. I'm, I'm dealing with real stuff today. And if you're honest this morning, you've been fighting for your life and you're losing. Jesus says the only way to defeat the strong man and win back possession of the house is for a stronger man to come in. You need a stronger man, strong enough to bind up the enemy, strong enough to take back possession of the house. You cannot, uh, you, you need a stronger man to fight the enemy that you cannot fight on your own. And I came by this morning to tell somebody there is a stronger man and his name is Jesus. And he sees, he sees what the strong man has done to your home and he sees what the strong man has done to your family and he sees what he has done to your mental health and he sees what he has done to your kids and he sees what he has done to your marriage and he sees what he has done to relationships in your life and I'm here to tell you the stronger man Jesus has had enough and he's ready to wage war on your behalf. On your own, you can't win this fight against the devil. When it comes to you and the devil, he is a strong man and he's always going to be the majority. If it's just me fighting against the enemy, I'm always going to lose. But me plus Jesus, you plus Jesus, you are always a majority when it comes against the enemy. And when you're under attack from the strong man, there is a stronger man who can come to your rescue and take back possession of the house. And the Bible says, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Greater, if I'm in Christ, if I have allowed him to cleanse me, if I've allowed him to take up habitation in my life, he is the stronger man inside of me who can defeat when the strong enemy comes against me. I do not have to settle for loss. I do not have to settle for uh, retreat from the enemy. I don't have to settle for surrender to sin because I have the Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, filling you, empowering you, and you plus God are always a majority, and he will fight for you. He sees what the enemy has done. He will sweep your house clean. He will take up residence in your house, and he will be the stronger man to protect your house from any kind of enemy trying to invade at any point. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Pastor Katie, would you come? Listen, addiction is strong, but Jesus is stronger. Listen to me. Fear is strong, but Jesus is stronger. Sickness is strong, but Jesus is stronger. Sin is strong, but Jesus is stronger. Depression is strong, but Jesus is stronger. And those suicidal thoughts are strong. But Jesus is stronger. Would you stand with me this morning? If you're here today, somebody in your house needs cleaned. If you're honest with me, there's a little bit of a layer of dust, of sin dust over your life. Your house needs cleaned today, but listen, Jesus still cleanses. His blood still washes white as snow. His blood still has power. His blood still has stain eradicating capabilities. 
in your life. If your house needs cleansing, Jesus is here and he still cleanses. Maybe you're here today though and your house is feeling a little empty. Life has, you know, there's not necessarily any major sin issues. There's not any, you know, you've, you've, you've been able to sweep the house clean and you've dealt with some things and, and things are okay, but, but if you were honest, there's an emptiness still. There's an emptiness in your life. There's an emptiness in, maybe it's, can we even just say this? It, it might not even be your whole life, but maybe there's just been a room or two, a, a couple of back areas that not everybody sees that you really haven't let Jesus fill yet and Jesus deal with. A couple of areas that maybe you haven't really totally surrendered to his ownership his life but Jesus he still fills and he still inhabits so he cleanses and then he he takes up residence you know maybe your prayer today is I just need Jesus to be in the room with me I just need Jesus to be in this this particular area of my life maybe it's a maybe it's an area where you'd say uh, sorry I felt like the Holy Spirit saying Maybe there's someone in the room that you're you're looking forward to and, and, and want to be married and have a spouse. And Jesus is saying, before I let a spouse in that room, I've got to deal with what's in that room. Let me in first, and I'll bring the right person in when it's time. Maybe it's... um. got a dream or a, a vision for your career or for your, your business or, or what you want to do in life. And, and Jesus is saying, hey, before you work in that room, why don't you let me in there first and start to lead and organize and take ownership of that? Would you surrender it to me? Because if you'll give it to me, I'll turn it into something better than you even could ever ask, think, or imagine. I think Pastor Katie was saying something about that earlier. He just wants to fill some things today. He just wants to take up residence in some areas of your life. And somebody today, maybe it's online, maybe it's here, somebody today, your house has been overrun by the strong man. You've given the devil a foothold in a certain area of your life, or maybe you didn't even intend to. He just got one. He just he broke through somehow. And you need a stronger man to come in and bind the enemy and give you victory. He's here today for that.